Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new conversation about software engineering. This is Joy Clark, and today on the Case Podcast, I am talking with uh, David Nolan about ClojureScript. David is a member of the core ClojureScript team at Cognitect, and he has been so kind to take the time to talk to me today. Uh, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so I mentioned that the topic for today is ClojureScript. Um, could you maybe briefly introduce ClojureScript? Yeah, uh, ClojureScript is a um, it's basically a version of Clojure. Um, I guess you could say a dialect of Clojure, though we try to keep the differences um, small uh, as much as possible. But it's a version of Clojure that compiles to JavaScript. Mm -hmm. uh, it's now about six years old. Um, Rich Hickey and other members of Relevance, um, which was what Cognitech was called before, they uh, announced it, I think, in July of 2011. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a pretty, um, it's been going on for quite some time. Um, and there's a pretty nice, um, healthy ecosystem around it. Uh, most of the people that use it, um, it shouldn't be surprising, are closure users. So people mm -hmm. doing sort of full stack closure where they have some significant backend component, and they would rather write a closure on the front end, then closure script is a, it's a good answer for that problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a closure developer who has done that. So, <laughs> um, we, we did a, do a podcast on closure itself. So, um, uh, we'll link that in the show notes, but maybe for those listeners who might've missed that episode, could you just briefly describe what the language looks like? Uh, closure script or closure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it looks the same, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the idea is that that it should be the same. Um, there are there, are, of course, some minor differences. Um, I mean, these are um, largely because you know, Clojure talks to Java, but you know, ClojureScript talks to JavaScript, and Java and JavaScript are are two pretty different languages. Um, the interop lo technically looks more or less the same, but you know, the types of things that you're going to be doing is it's going to be different. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in ClojureScript, you're often interacting with uh, the browser um, and third-party JavaScript libraries. I mean, that's a good, a good, a good amount of what people are doing is, is really that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, ClojureScript, I mean, you know, if, if you're not familiar with Clojure or ClojureScript, you know, Clojure is a Lisp. Um, it's a functional uh, Lisp. It um, emphasizes programming with um, values uh, through... Um, a standard suite of, uh, you know, relatively performant, uh, persistent data structures. Uh, Clojure sort of did quite a bit of innovation there when it was released in 2007. And those implementations were more or less um, ported to a Clojure script, um, I think, in 2012. So mm -hmm. uh, the same sort of immutable data structures um, that you like and enjoy in Clojure are available um, in ClojureScript. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's almost uh, all the standard libraries mirrored. So um, that's another thing that's kind of fun, though, about ClojureScript is that you get to have all this Lisp goodness um, mm -hmm. when doing front-end programming. Um, there is a small um, but, I think, growing community of people who aren't coming from a JVM background uh, where actually ClojureScript is their first introduction to a Lisp um, and mm -hmm. to functional programming. And then uh, it's not uncommon to hear people really like it and then be like, oh, maybe I should check out Clojure because ClojureScript is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's not how it used to be, but I see that's definitely like a, a growing area of the user base. So what, um, for those of like uh, users who might be using JavaScript right now or in the front end or some kind of JavaScript variant, um, what features would you see in ClojureScript that would encourage um, them to move to ClojureScript instead of JavaScript? Yeah, so actually, I mean, JavaScript is uh, continues to evolve very quickly. Um, I mean, it's it's actually, you know, I would say the past four or five years is actually quite nice because um, as a language, it wasn't nothing nothing much was going on uh, for about a good decade, from about two thousand and one to I don't know. 2010, 2011, but then um, due to the efforts of the sort of uh, the uh, TC39, the, over, the overseeing sort of like standards body around the language, um, you're seeing the language evolve. 
And actually, it's hard to point out any particular thing about JavaScript that you can't do in JavaScript, right? Um, there are mutable data structure libraries. There are functional programming libraries for JavaScript. Um, JavaScript now has a lot of sugar and sort of syntactical affordances. Um, so if you were going to say, like, you know, what's the one feature? Um, it's kind of hard to point at one thing that mm -hmm. ClojureScript can do that you can't do in JavaScript. Um, but I think the real difference is what's idiomatic, right? Mm -hmm. um, even though a JavaScript developer can use immutable JS, um, if you've ever used it, it doesn't necessarily feel idiomatic. Um, uh, if you're going to use a library like that, you have to sort of um, be willing to make sure that everybody that you're going to collaborate with is on board. Um, and, and it definitely has an impact for interop between libraries, right? So mm -hmm. if you think about ClojureScript, ClojureScript ships out of the box with persistent data structures. It's just the default, right? Every library that you might use that's written in ClojureScript, um, the currency is immutable values. So everybody's sort of bought in and functional programming is highly idiomatic, right? Mm -hmm. you, when you meet somebody else and, and they say they do Clojure or ClojureScript, there's a certain um, expectations uh, about that, what that means and assumptions that you might have. Uh, and that's actually, if you're sitting down to write an API or a library, that's actually really freeing, right? You know that the, the people that might use your thing are going to understand um, the choices that you made. Um, and that, I think, is the real difference. It's not like a specific feature. It's like, what's the philosophy? What's the frame of mind um, that you can expect um, when you're interacting with Clojure or ClojureScript libraries? Uh, but if you're just talking about, could you <laughs> today, you know, if you're like, oh, I really love all the ideas, uh, actually, you could, you, could, you could, you know, cobble a bunch of libraries together uh, and more or less achieve the same thing um, in JavaScript. Um, it's just not out of the box. It's, it's something you have to put together yourself. Whereas ClojureScript, it's out of the box. <laughs> okay. Um, what's the? Is there an adoption trend for ClojureScript compared with other kinds of JavaScript? Um, uh, adoption trend? I mean, I would say, the, um, you know, it's more or less um, closure programmers, and that's kind of to be expected, right? It was created for closure programmers, and most of the people that use it are closure programmers. Uh, even the people that come to ClojureScript out of curiosity, um, it's, I think, more common that those people um, end up being like, oh, I like closure. ClojureScript is an introduction to closure. Um, so that's, that's, that's the, the main adoption trend. Um, that said, um, ClojureScript can compile itself to JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And that's existed for about two years. Um, and there is a small but growing ecosystem and interest around sort of like, you know, quote unquote, JVM-less um, ClojureScript development. Uh, there's a lot of work to do to make that practical. Mm -hmm. um, but there's interest in, you know, people in the community are pushing that along. It's not a, it's not really a priority for us, but we're not in any way discouraging it. And certainly we maintain, um, the bootstrapping capability explicitly so people can do, um, innovative stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Do you, where do you see the language heading? Um, uh, so that, you know, we, we try, we really don't try to do anything in the language that's different from closure, right? So, you know, most of the language changes happen in closure first. And then once they look like they're, you know, it's definitely going to be a certain way, we end up, um, porting that to closure script, uh, spec is a good example. So mm -hmm. spec you know, appeared first in Clojure and was available first in Clojure. And then slowly over a period of, you know, several months, we reached parity and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so language changes are really driven by Clojure. Um, mm -hmm. That said, there are things that are specific to the challenges of ClojureScript, which Clojure is not concerned about. And for ClojureScript, that's mostly... Um, integrating with um, 
um, JavaScript, the JavaScript ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that's not obvious to people who, um, to Clojure programmers and JavaScript programmers or Python or Ruby or whatever, if you're coming to ClojureScript, um, one thing that a lot of people won't be familiar with is that we integrate deeply with Google Clojure Compiler, mm-hmm. which is the optimizing JavaScript compiler. So we produce code that's um, designed to be understood by Google Clojure because Google Clojure provides, I mean, tons of facilities. Um, but uh, one of the biggest ones is just dead code elimination. So mm-hmm. it can analyze your program and determine which parts of the program are unused. And it, that can really significantly um, shrink the size of the final artifact, which is important for, uh, it's important when you're targeting web browsers, you know, down, mm-hmm. you know, download um, time is um, important for user experience. Uh, but, Google, but Google Clojure, the point here is that Google Clojure actually, uh, it, it's a bit, it makes integrating with third-party JavaScript libraries a bit more challenging because Google Clojure compiler is something you have to write, you have to write code that's aware of the fact that it's going to go through Google Clojure. Um, so that's the biggest area of work for us right now is just making it possible to consume more and more of the Java ecosystem and ensure that that stuff can successfully pass through Google closure. So that, that's a new focus. That's not something we cared about in the past. Um, so that's probably the next year to be honest, that's probably where we're going to be spending, um, most of our time because that's sort of uh, high impact. Um, you know, a lot of what people struggle with, the pain point I would say is um, that it is challenging to integrate third-party stuff mm-hmm. into your build. Yes, <laughs> I have uh, stumbled on that problem before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's um, that's this externs file, right? Ex- yeah. Like defining the functions in your JavaScript library that um, that your closure script file needs to know about so that it they don't the compiler doesn't optimize them away. Yes. And so yeah, let's we can let's just um, stick on that just a moment. So the Google Closure compiler is a whole program optimizing compiler. So mm-hmm. its expectation is that it sees every line of code that will ever be run in your program. Um, uh, the problem is <laughs> the you want to use a third-party library that's not Google Closure compatible that it's never going to actually analyze or look at. And the issue is when you're calling out into what we call foreign libraries, these libraries that the Google Closure compiler will never see, in order to prevent Google Closure from either eliminating something that doesn't need to be eliminated or renaming a property, um, uh, a huge optimization that Google Closure compiler does is it takes your human readable names and it shortens them down into one or two characters. Um, but that doesn't work for properties that, um, that it didn't see some property in a third party library. Um, so it's in that case, you provide something called an externs file, which says, um, there's an external library that exists and these are the names that we're calling into and it's not okay to rename those properties. Mm Mm-hmm. I heard a rumor that that that's not going to be necessary in the future. Is that correct? Well, it's so <laughs> in general, it's not tr- like you can't. It's it's not something we can ever completely get rid of, right? Um, what we would like is that we would like it to be more um, unusual that you would need to provide it. Um, if we can successfully pass a library through Google Closure, um, then you don't then you don't need externs files. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually what we've, what we've discovered is that often um, libraries need very small changes. JavaScript libraries need very small changes to be Google Closure compatible. For example, uh, we can actually right now pass all of React, which I think is more than 100 source files and all of its um, dependencies um, through Google Closure compiler. And the... And that's, I think that's about, I don't know, 40,000 lines of JavaScript. And for 40,000 lines of JavaScript, we only need um, four explicit externs. And those mm-hmm. four could actually be eliminated just by very small, um, um, the most minor tweak to 
react. Um, so uh, ideally in the future, the future that I, that, you know, that, <laughs> that I was envisioning two years ago when we started on this is that, you know, what would happen is that as we sort of are more invested in the JavaScript ecosystem, I want to use React and I, and I try it and I'm passing it through Google Closure and I see that, oh, I only need these four externs. Um, but in fact, I wouldn't even need those if they just made a minor change to React. So I can make a PR to React saying, there's this little bit of dynamism that you don't actually need and nobody's, nobody depends on it or relies on that. Let's just get rid of it. And now that JavaScript library is fully Google Closure compatible. And mm -hmm. we, we've seen this actually in quite a few libraries that, um, that you need very small changes. And then this is particularly true for um, uh, ES6 libraries with static import export. Um, so our hope is, is that um, uh, as we develop this, the ability to consume node modules and random JavaScript libraries, that that'll encourage ClojureScript programmers to make the small PRs um, to make um, these libraries uh, Google Closure compatible. Because uh, again, it's actually often, uh, the changes are often trivial. Yeah. So, so, so yes, so you, the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know in, assuming that you've done this, yeah, you, would, you wouldn't have to provide externs because you've made the change to make that library Google Closure compatible, and then you don't need externs. So the, 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 the solution is for JavaScript libraries to become better? Uh, I would say, I mean, it's going to require effort on our part to, you know, interact with that community and show them that it, it requires very small changes. My suspicion is, you know, for the most popular libraries, this is going to be a, pr a pretty straightforward thing. Um, and then, you know... Um, it's going to be harder, I will say, for just any old random library. It'll probably be a bit more challenging, and we'll have to solve that um, on a case-by-case -case basis. But my impression so far is that if we could cover um, especially the React ecosystem, because ClojureScript, so much of ClojureScript um, is around React and React-based mm -hmm. libraries, if we could cover React and React components in the most sort of popular li libraries in that world, as well as React Native, um, I think the happiness level of the average ClojureScript developer would be um, greatly improved. <laughs> I believe you. Um, so is ClojureScript a transpiler or a compiler? I mean, people like to debate <laughs> what these things mean. Uh, I, have, I have no uh, strong feelings. Um, you know. I guess some people argue that technically a, uh, a transpiler is just a compiler, right? It, you know, it's from one representation to another representation. I think transpiler was sort of popularized just because, you know, um, you know, you were going from, you know, say one human readable source to another human readable source. You know, I think I feel like I observed that name sort of become popular with CoffeeScript. Uh, mm -hmm. Because CoffeeScript went from, you know, you would write readable CoffeeScript and you would generate readable JavaScript. And that was kind of a, a value proposition. Um, so it was just a kind of like a, I don't know, sort of slang to talk about this sort of curious way of, you know, designing compiler, readable source to readable source. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I would say probably if that's the definition, then... Uh, if that's the sort of, you know, colloquial definition, then ClojureScript doesn't really try to generate readable JavaScript. I mean, you can understand it if, if you've looked at it enough, but mm -hmm. um, uh, we've gone out of our way with things like source mapping um, to make, you know, really that, to make that not be necessary. You know, we, as a general rule, um, we really don't want people to... Um, have to think about it. Okay. <laughs> um, my next question is a bit of a personal one. How did you get started doing compilers? Like, was ClojureScript your first one? Uh, I would say ClojureScript was my first one. Um, I mean, beyond like, you know, I've made 
um, I was always a fan of Lisp. And so, of course, I'd done some interpreters. Um, and, and, and to be honest, if you've done an interpreter or two just for fun, then you, you know, you, you kind of at least have some sort of context for how a compiler might work. You know, you know, an interpreter, you, you learn how to make an environment and you, you know, um, you learn a bit with Lisp. It's easy because there's really not that much, you don't have to deal that much with syntax. Um, mm. and really a compiler is like, you know, instead of writing code to run the thing, you're just like, well, we're just going to take what was an interpreter. Instead of running stuff, you generate some other thing. Um, Closure Scripts compiler is actually, it's a bit big now just because we've been working on it for six years. But, you know, when I started working on it, I think the compiler and the analyzer was like, maybe it was like 1,200 lines of code. It was mm -hmm. quite small. Like, I think it was like 600 lines of code for the analyzer, which is the thing that takes the S expressions and converts them into an abstract, abstract syntax tree, the AST. And then the, um, the compiler would take the AST and generate JavaScript source. Uh, so the early versions were pretty easy to understand. But I would actually argue that even though the new, you know, in this current state, it does a lot more, particularly around the area of optimization, um, it's, it's still a pretty straightforward, um, simple thing. Um, I think a lot of people's first impression is that it's intimidating um, and they play around with it and they're like, oh, this is really actually a lot of fun and it's, uh, it's actually not that, not that hard. Um, if you're interested, there's actually a really great talk. I think it's two years old now um, by uh, Maria Geller and she actually did a lot of the work, the initial work on this um, uh, JavaScript sort of ecosystem integration stuff. And she mm -hmm. did a great talk at the con two years ago. Um, it was a sort of easy introduction into the ClojureScript compiler. I recommend checking it out. Um, but back to the first part of your question, I got interested in ClojureScript actually while I was at the New York Times. I was doing some CoffeeScript. I was doing JavaScript and Ruby. And I, I, was, a, I was a Clojure. Clojure was a hobby language for me. And when ClojureScript came out, I, just, I was just really excited about it because I liked Clojure so much. And I was like, wow, a version of Clojure that compiles to JavaScript. And, you know, I'd, done a I'd been doing JavaScript already for six years. So it was kind of like um, a combination of two things I was very enthusiastic about, uh, doing JavaScript UI stuff and Clojure as sort of like um, my hobby functional programming language thing. Um, and I worked on it, you know, on my free time. ClojureScript was a, very much in a free time open source thing for me for about uh, three years and then, you know, I joined Cognitech in 2014. And then at that point, officially a good chunk of my time um, is dedicated to ClojureScript in a more mm -hmm. official capacity. Cool. Well, we'll, um, we'll link that show, uh, that, that uh, talk in the show notes. So um, listeners can look it up later. Um, uh, concerning the compiler itself, um, what language, it's, it's written in... Closure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so ClojureScript is written in Clojure, which is actually um, quite different from Clojure itself. Clojure is written in uh, Java, right? The compiler and the analyzer and the data structures are all written in Java. ClojureScript, since day one, the whole thing was written in, in, in Clojure. Uh, you know, Rich Hickey uh, actually said in the early days, you know, this is the first attempt at a Clojure in Clojure meaning mm -hmm. a closure that could be self-hosted. It actually took us, you know, four years to, um, to actually get to self-hosting. Um, but that was the idea, right? ClojureScript, the compiler's written in Clojure. Um, the, the data structures are written in Clojure script, but it's Clojure. Um, yeah, the, the idea is it's like, I think, I think, I think ClojureScript, if you, if you look at the entire, all the sources for everything, um, I think it's 40,000 lines of Clojure and ClojureScript. You know, it's mm -hmm. basically one language. And I think we have like 200 lines of JavaScript. So uh, there's only a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of JavaScript. And all the JavaScript, to be honest, is just about um, node integration. We have a few things for integrating with node where uh, 
um, there's no benefit or actually doing it in ClojureScript would is more complicated. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, everything in ClojureScript is either written in Clojure or ClojureScript itself. Um, so what when you're running the compiler, do you run it in ClojureScript? You said it could be self-hosted. Does that mean I, I don't have to have Java installed? Like, I mean, you need Java for Clojure, so... So, um. uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So you can, there's an option. So basically the way we wrote ClojureScript is that you can have ClojureScript compile itself. And at, and when you have it compile itself, you then have a JavaScript file, which, in, which is the compiler and the analyzer and all the things you need compiled down to JavaScript. So we don't give, we don't give that to you out of the box, but it's sort of more or less now um, easy to compile the whole thing to JavaScript. And that's, that's how um, Plank, so the, there's, a, there's a, um, a command line scripting tool called Plank, and Plank is a version of ClojureScript which is, um, uh, it has no Java at all. It's just JavaScript core uh, bundled with the self-hosted compiler. You have another thing called Lumo, uh, Lumo is another self-hosted thing, and what that the way that works is that they compile, you know, the compiler and the analyzer, and they take that JavaScript file and they load it into V8, and then V8 has this really cool snapshot capability where you can basically dump the heap, so you have um, the VM can basically snapshot its state, and then you have something that that boots very quickly. Uh, so Lumo is a yet another sort of bootstrapped closure script thing. You don't need the JVM to run that. Um, and, uh, yeah, th- those things don't require the JVM. Those are, those are JavaScript. That's it. You just need JavaScript for those things to work. Okay. Um, and do macros still work in closure script? So macros, um, are, are different, um, in closure script than in closure, uh, because, um, could, I'm sorry. Could you briefly explain what a macro is for those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, what's a macro? A macro is um, uh, so one of the early discoveries around Lisp is because since Lisp has this fairly um, um, self-similar representation, right? You have, you know, you have these s ex- s expressions, and then and most Lisp systems um, they they act on that. That, that representation, but that representation is a data structure, right? So when you write a function and you, you know, left parentheses, defun, name, parameter list, the body of the function, close parens, well, that thing is also, not only can you just run that, but it also is just a piece of data. It's just a list with symbols in it and maybe some other data structures. Um, and, you know, list programmers realized, oh, well, it's a, just a data structure and we have functions to manipulate data structures. We could just take an S expression and transform it into something else and then evaluate that. And so that's really the, the big ideas behind macros is that um, because closure, uh, Lisp is homo-iconic, like, as they like to say, code is data, data is code, um, it's macros, this idea of taking a source and expanding it into something else, it's so trivial in Lisp, it's, you know, uh, most Lisps have this capability. Closure is no different. And ClojureScript has this capability as well. Um, the difference, though, is that um, when we target web browsers, right, we don't mm-hmm. want to ship. When, when you're writing um, an app, a GUI app in the browser, we don't want to ship the analyzer or the compiler or all this other stuff that we use to generate um, the program because that would bloat your, your final um, um, uh, artifact. Right, you would have all this extra stuff that you're not actually using in your UI that we would have to hand to you. So uh, ClojureScript, the macro system is a bit different in that the macros are compile time only. So mm-hmm. um, some people refer to this as sort of like sort of staging. So the macros that you write are written in Clojure, so that we don't need to um, include the analyzer, the compiler or the source level reader inside of your running program, all this stuff happens only at compile time. Um, while it would seem like it's a big limitation and it is a little bit tricky to get used to if you're coming from Clojure, this means that what you're sending, the, your final program is really, 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 really small. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, like if you write, um, I think the entire ClojureScript standard library, if you're not bringing in like a bunch of other dependencies, um, it's under 30K, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the entire core library is under 30K, which is historically speaking, that's, that's smaller than 30K gzipped, uh, excuse me, that's what I mean. But that's historically, that's smaller than jQuery. Uh, that's definitely smaller than React. Um, uh, and this is sort of, you know, all this is sort of due to the magic of the Google Closure compiler that um, even though we have this massive, massive standard library um, that is quite small, um, but if you were going to add, if you were going to add all the stuff that you need, you need to get macros at runtime, um, I think the smallest size you're going to see is more like 60 or 70 K, I think, uh, at a minimum, it could be even bigger than that. It's been a while since I checked. Um, uh, so that's why we don't do that. Uh, we want, we want, you know, we're very much concerned about um, you know, typical JavaScript best practice. You want you want your actual application to be quite small because you want to load quickly. Mm-hmm. So, so the thirty k is the is the overhead that you would get by writing ClojureScript as compared to like a JavaScript directly. That's right. Though you know, I mean, very few people. I mean, even though this comes up, <laughs> you know, native JavaScript, which uh, it makes me laugh because. Um, I mean, even in the early days, uh, dealing with browser quirks, um, not having access to a standard library. I mean, you always want to use something. Um, so I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a very big believer in the, um, the native JavaScript thing. Um, you know, you're always using some library to get something done. I think in a post-React world, uh, it's just, not a, it's just not, a, it's not a huge value proposition. Uh, most people are f- totally fine with um, taking on React as a dep and building higher level mm-hmm. stuff on top of it. Okay. So for the front end, use it when you're using ClojureScript for doing front end development, do you ha- uh, do the whole, have to do the whole front end in ClojureScript, or can you just um, choose parts where it's most effective? Um, I would say uh, because you you it's so unlike say like so like something like CoffeeScript and even even things like Reason um, ML and um, there are other um, uh, compiled to JavaScript languages where doing a small thing in JavaScript is actually a lot simpler because they're not doing this whole program optimization thing. Um, and it's a lot of, a lot of it's just because these, a lot of these, um, other compiled to JavaScript languages don't ship a massive standard library where we ship a massive standard library. I mean, the, the standard library is like 10,000 lines of closure script. Um, so for us, something like Google Closure Compiler is kind of a requirement. Uh, we mm-hmm. need some way to manage the fact that we have a very large standard library. Um, and it's something that users want. You're, you're used to a rich standard library from Clojure. You want the same thing in ClojureScript. But if you're using Google Closure Compiler, that's kind of like um, it really restricts the flexibility in just using ClojureScript for one tiny thing. Um, I would say that um, ClojureScript to this day and since day one, it's really about um, single page apps uh, where you're in control and your goal is to use ClojureScript um, as the main language of the project. Um, You can mix it with JavaScript, but I would argue that that's um, a bit challenging and to be honest, not really a use case that we um, support or even intend to support. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so does with the, the Google Closure compiler, does it do, do dead code elimination on um, the core library as well? Like if I don't use this, like, I, I, I mean, the core library is probably pretty big. Um, and if I don't use most of the functions, which I probably don't, will those also be shipped to the UI? No, no, no. So if you write, so um, in one of the one of the, the tests that we do is like you know just to make sure that we have a messed up dead code elimination is if you write a ClojureScript program and the only statement in that ClojureScript program is JS console log hello world, um, then you're going to get um, out of advanced compilation you're going to get something that's just a few bytes. Um, you're not going to get the standard library. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, de- so dead code. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also it's also why 
Um, I would say in ClojureScript, as a general rule, users are, are, are significantly more fearless about their ClojureScript dependencies uh, because they know if, if, I, if I take on a, a very large ClojureScript depth, um, I'm very confident that I'm only going to get the pieces from that dependency that I actually need uh, because Google Closure Compiler uh, works great. Great. Um, concerning front-end development, uh, you mentioned that React is used in a lot of the libraries in ClojureScript. Um, I've heard a lot of people describe React um, using a term like the functional way to do UI design. Um, could you explain to me what that means? Um, ClojureScript is the functional way to do UI design? React. React is the functional oh, way. React is the functional. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, so React, I mean, I think the cool thing about React is React sort of introduced people to functional programming as a philosophy. You mm -hmm. know, I think, you know, people think that functional programming is like, you know, map and reduce and, you know, persistent data structures or whatever. But that's not really true. Um, I mean, to me, functional programming is a, a mindset about how one goes about organizing their programs. Um, and React um, sort of introduced, even though it had sort of this object-oriented veneer, uh, it really was getting people to think about um, a very functional approach to um, UI development. A lot of people got hung up on, in the early days, on this thing called component local state. But the truth is, is that um, uh, if you think about component local state as like the transient part of your program and uh, it's not the essence of what you're doing in the UI, um, then React is a very functional friendly system. Um, I remember my friend Brandon Bloom introduced me to React and I was very skeptical because I said, you know, of course, I also thought on the surface it looked very object oriented. Um, but I think I spent like, I don't know, I think I spent like four or five days and I realized that you could write a very clean uh, binding to React um, with ClojureScript, and you could uh, basically do functional um, UI programming in a way that at the time seemed to me very novel. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the Closure and ClojureScript community more or less came to the same conclusion. And you know, there's there's now nah, I mean, there's Reagent. There's um, Reframe, which is built on top of Reagent. There's RUM. Um, you've got um, you know the library that I worked on called Ohm, as well as the successor Ohm Next. Um, there were other things like Quiescent. I mean, uh, everybody more or less jumped on board because uh, React uh, again um, fundamentally encourages a uh, in a phil again, like I said in a, in, a, in a big picture sort of way a functional approach to UI development. Uh, there are, of course, a lot of other problems that need to be solved, but um, it's uh, to me it was a big step forward. Um, uh, you know, you know, basically the way that React works, you know, it's it's functional. You 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 have a component, <clears throat> you pass in props, and then you have something that will get rendered by some other thing, and you don't really care. So, but it's mm -hmm. a function of you know from your data to something that will get rendered by something else. And you're not really that concerned about how that's going to happen. Uh, and that's the big idea. OK. Um, I personally love to develop web applications using pure HTML, with sometimes a little bit of JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it's interesting because I, it feels to me like everyone is moving away from HTML and, and uh, focusing on frameworks like Angular and React, like a, a single page apps. Um, and I can really see the use case for, for developing rich client applications. Um, but I think there's also cases where HTML is great. Um, and my question is, do you, would you use ClojureScript or JavaScript for everything in the web? Um, or do you see a use case for like plain HTML? Um, it, you know, it really depends. I mean, something that you could do, and I... And actually, there are some companies that do this, but you don't hear that much about it. For example, I could imagine, um, you know, a case where you decide, you know, we want to use 
Closure Script, but we don't want to use React because we want to use HTML. Um, and we may even want to use a smattering of JavaScript. And all we have to do is train our JavaScript people to do Google, Google Closure compatible JavaScript, which again, uh, these days it's getting easier and easier because Google Closure can consume ES6 and it can understand node modules and just all this stuff. Um, you could totally imagine um, a case where you're building a giant website. Um, it doesn't need a lot of JavaScript. You write a little bit of Clojure script here and there, or you write a little bit of JavaScript here and there, and you only rely on Google Clojure Library, which has you know a vast array of facilities for doing um, whatever. I, I guess you know if you're you know if React is a new way, then the old way you could say more traditional approach to doing um, client web stuff. You could totally do that, um, and in fact, that's how that's how it was before React. Right, uh, people were either you know, scripting jQuery from ClojureScript or Angular, or they were like, I don't need jQuery because Google Clojure has all the stuff I need to do for lightly scripting a web page. Mm -hmm. um, so there's nothing about ClojureScript that um, um, requires React, and that's, that's, that's very intentional. Right? React, mm -hmm. React is great, and you know, there's a lot of excitement around it because of things like Re React Native and so on and so forth. But if you want to do HTML and you want to do lightweight scripting with ClojureScript, uh, we've certainly made no choices that would prevent you from doing that. Um, yeah, if, as far as like, uh, I mean, would you personally, if you were to develop a website, would you use ClojureScript or would you just do it in HTML? <laughs> Would I mean, I, I just think it's interesting I, because like React seems to have become like an industry standard and, and then people are like, build me a website and use React. And I'm like, really? I mean, it's three pages and they're linked and I can ah. write them in HTML and, and then they're cacheable and then it works without JavaScript. Um, so, and, yeah, yeah. So and, it's a great point. Uh, keep going. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't mean to And so that's what I, I just kind of wanted to uh, hear your thoughts on that. Um, like... I feel like there's a push for using React and, and like a single page approach to every kind of application or website on the internet, regardless of if it's um, good for the use case. And I, I guess I wanted to ask you if you see um, how, how you would decide, how would you would make the decision about what technology you would want to use for the UI? I mean, for me, it's quite simple. If I'm building an SPA, right, a single page app, mm -hmm. um, then well, there's no there's no problem with React. Or if I'm doing mobile and I want to use React Native, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Um, but I have I have a blog, and my blog isn't so active these days. Um, but um, you know, I wrote a my blog is a Jekyll blog with Ruby, and you know, I I do very light scripting with ClojureScript. You know, I'll bring in Code Mirror and Whatever, and I don't, I don't use React, right? I mean, there's all these use cases where um, there's no, there, there's no huge benefit um, from mm -hmm. using React. I just need to program a couple of elements on the screen, and that's it. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> for me, it's like it's just like it was before, right? Does it make sense for the task at hand? Um, mm -hmm. Would I say, do you always need React? No. Do you should you Always design like you're building an SPA. It, do, it doesn't make any. It doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't encourage it that or do it that way. Okay. Do you have any ideas about how user interface design might change in the next few years? Uh, I mean, I'm just wondering what the next big thing is going to be. Um. um the. Uh, I mean, I. I think the things to follow. Um, are no different than sort of things that I um, that I think are interesting. Um, I mean, any, anybody, you know, it's not like I know the answer or whatever. The stuff that I like is whatever, good or bad. It's just the things that I think are interesting that have a high impact for UI. It's definitely, I think, um, GraphQL. Mm -hmm. um, I think GraphQL, the GraphQL approach has, um, will likely have a huge impact. On, and not GraphQL specifically as a specific technology, but just that that idea, GraphQL and Falcor. Um, this mm -hmm. idea of allowing clients to have finer grain control over what data they pull from the back end. Um, it really 
can radically simplify um, how you go about doing UI stuff, especially for more sophisticated sort of SPA style applications. So I, I, I see that as having a huge impact. Um, I also think that um, um, that it's not like, you know, it's not like that people have completely solved um, the new sorts of problems that React introduces. I mean, there's still a lot of friction um, uh, that didn't exist uh, when you weren't doing things in the React way. Like traditional MVC has, you know, some nice properties um, that I would argue still haven't really been fully recovered um, in mm -hmm. the React approach. Um, and that's something for people to reconcile. Uh, if I would say that, I don't know if people are going to do it, but I, I would say that there's some, some work to be done there. And that... Um, uh, that's probably, I would see that as being like the next important step uh, to sort of reconcile the lessons of sort of the functional UI with more traditional approaches. Um, mm. yeah, but, you know, I suspect this is going to, uh, it's going to take some time yet, I think, for, for people to really identify that as um, a problem. Okay. Um. With so many libraries being uh, based on React in the ClojureScript world, uh, do you think there will be an issue uh, for the libraries with this? There's been, recently been the outrage over Facebook's licensing um, agreement. Yeah, so I mean, that that's really, I think it's a team-by-team, team, company company-by-company, case-by-case basis. I mean, um, you know, I, I definitely sympathize with the frustration about that. Um, my impression is that uh, in the end, uh, most users really aren't that concerned about it. They just want to ship stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, in the end, I see that as actually having a, a very um, minor impact. Um, largely because, I mean, I sort of view the closure community as being a fairly pragmatic community. It's a sort of a community of people that want to ship stuff and get stuff done. Um, you know, if, in, in some sense, you know, it's like, you know, Clojure programmers and ClojureScript programmers are not purists, right? It's like, you know, Clojure programmers are okay with the JVM. They're okay hmm. with talking to Java libraries. You know, a lot of, a lot of programmers wouldn't touch a Java, Java library with a, you know, the, a mile long pole, right? Just the idea of, of, Java being in their stack is like, you know, uh, revolting. Uh, and closure programmers, they just don't have this, right? You, you understand the value of what Java and the JVM bring. You don't necessarily want to program it, but you appreciate access to that ecosystem. And I would argue that in the closure script world, it's the same. You know, the React patent thing kind of sucks, but until somebody else comes up with something, um, that has um, the same um, properties and has the same amount of reach, specifically uh, something like React Native, um, I suspect you're not going to convince many people. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I, at the same time, my point there is that uh, React could totally get replaced um, if somebody comes up with something that delivers the same value on the same level of reach. Um, but I don't think the patents clause um, is compelling enough for people to, <laughs> you know, that alone is not going to cause people to re rewrite everything. Mm -hmm. That's probably true. Um, you mentioned React Native a couple times. Could you uh, explain a little bit what that is and how that can be used to help create mobile apps with ClojureScript? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, there have been various attempts. I mean, something that a lot of companies struggle with, and I saw this when I was at the New York Times, is that, you know, you build an app and then you have to build that app again um, it, with Java on Android. And you have to rebuild that app again. Um, saying, assuming you've done it once on the web, you have to build that app again on iOS with Objective-C or Swift. Um, and that's great when you have tons of money and can afford to hire tons of developers and you can pay, you know, you know, an Android developer, an iOS developer, and all the QAing that that requires and the testing that requires. 
Um, and so that's a real pain point. There are a lot of companies that would like to, to have a better, simpler story for reaching the major client targets without having to you know, um, invest so heavily in so many different technologies. Uh, there have been other approaches. Um, there have been things like Cordova. Cordova was like, you know, you could write um, your iOS and Android app in in JavaScript. But those involved um, um, uh, web, web views. Um, and, you know, the, the big tension there was they didn't look or feel native, um, and they often had performance issues that arise from embedding a full-blown web browser um, into the app. Um, so Facebook had a very clever idea, which is that React is a very sort of like high-level system. I mean, what it, what it renders to is, um, is decoupled from the semantics of React. Like the web, the DOM is just one possible render target. So some engineers at Facebook said, well, we could have a different render target. That render target could be um, iOS native views or it could be Android native views. And so React Native is basically allows developers to write JavaScript, um, and and React Native can deal with the fact that you're going to target Android or iOS, and with some minor work on the part of the JavaScript user, you could write components um, that work um, on three completely different platforms, um, and that's that's huge, right? It's you write your component once. And you can use that component um, on many different platforms. Um, so the and the performance profile of React Native is not, you know, it's not like it's of course it's not going to be um, as good as if you just wrote it native. But the point is that you've really decreased the gap where um, a, a much larger um, demographic of applications that you wouldn't have considered doing it this way now now it's it's fine. It's fine for a much larger um, set of applications, um, which is cool. And that's, you know, there's a, and we see that. The amount of interest um, in the ClojureScript community around React Native, it's, it's, it's significant. Uh, cool. So what other um, frameworks and libraries are available? Or I don't know if we've mentioned any, but what frameworks and libraries are available for front-end development or just development in general in ClojureScript? So I, if I, to be honest, if I, if like, if I wasn't doing React, I would just use Google Closure Library. So Google Closure, okay. Google Closure Library has, I mean, they have, they have everything. They have, they have, um, you know, battle tested. You know, basically, so a lot of people, Google Closure Library is what runs all of Google's major JavaScript properties, right? So Gmail, uh, Google Docs. Right, mm -hmm. all that stuff runs on Google Closure Library. They're not using React. They're not using other frameworks. Right? They're using. They're not using Angular, even though Angular is from Google. the The customer facing JavaScript properties are built with Google Closure Library. So if I wasn't using React, I would just be using Google Closure Library. Um, uh, it's just a massive set of functionality for dealing with browsers. Um, basically almost anything you could think of doing, they've done. Um, they've really thought through hard problems like internationalization. Um, and it's constantly, it's, it's constantly in development. It's not something that's sit sitting still. Um, uh, Google Closure Library isn't even version controlled. I mean, they just use it for master. Uh, we happen to snapshot it for ClojureScript um, developers, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's every time I look there, I'm like, there's always something that I haven't seen before that's useful, um, that's worth trying out and using. Uh, that 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 that's that that would be my suggestion. I, it's very rare that I would ever think about using a, a, a JavaScript framework if I wasn't using React. I would just mm -hmm. I would just switch to Google Closure. So what React-based um, frameworks or libraries are there in ClojureScript? Uh, so I would say, the, I mean, the most popular one is probably Reagent now uh, because it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty easy uh, to use. Um, I, I recommend it if you just want something that's just like basic React. It's very easy to get started with. 
If you're doing a blog, again, I would probably do what I've done, which is I wouldn't even I wouldn't use anything. Um, if you need something more sophisticated where you're expecting that you're going to have um, a, a more interesting relationship between the client and the server, then you have something like Ohm Next. Um, you may find Ohm Next to be a bit too abstract. And the, the truth is Ohm Next is really a set of ideas. Uh, and in fact, I've actually personally worked on projects where we chose reagent and then we just had an ohm next architecture and that worked great ohm next is your library right yeah yeah and, and ohm next is basically just you know cribbing um a bunch of ideas from um graphql and falcor and then just making them a bit more you know closure-y Um, so are there any major tooling efforts uh, to improve the adoption of the language? Uh, so you've got, you've got a bunch of, you know, you have, I mean, there's so many community-related things. Um, you've got FigWheel, which I think is like the de facto REPL now for most people uh, because it's, it's really great. It's brought a lot of ideas from Elm for error reporting. Um, you can, you know, you, you, can, you can get FigWheel and you can immediately start coding. Um, FigWheel with reagents, like it's a lot of fun. Um, so if you're starting out, I, I recommend trying that. I think people are blown away because a lot of things that require configuration in the JavaScript world, like hot code reloading, I mean, all that stuff just works um, mm -hmm. out of the box. There's nothing to do there. Other things that are cool are like Parinfer. Parinfer is an mm -hmm. effort by Sean LeBron and a bunch of other contributors to make Lisp source editing easier for people who are just coming to the language. Um, it's a system which will automatically calculate your parens for you based on indentation, which I think for a lot of people, especially from, you know, Ruby or Python or, e or even JavaScript, um, it's, it's more familiar. Um, and that works in, you know, Atom, it works in um, visual code. Um, so that seems to be quite popular. Um, of course, you have things that are not open source, things like um, Cursive uh, for uh, IntelliJ, um, and that's you know that's that's actually really really far along now. Uh, if you want um, an IDE experience for Closure and ClojureScript, I mean that's what I use um, uh, for work, uh, mm -hmm. and I think it's great. Um, so that helps a lot. Uh, CLJS DevTools for enhancing the experience in Chrome is also uh, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also some other interesting things that we're, you know, you know another thing that, that we are interested in about is expanding Clojure and ClojureScript adoption. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're always thinking about better ways to um, introduce people to the language. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's nothing, I think, specific yet to talk about, but you know, I see things happening in the community where people are looking for better environments for people to be introduced um, to Clojure and ClojureScript. Because I think one of the challenges um, is that, you know, uh, we assume, you know, Clojure and ClojureScript assume sort of um, some familiarity with the Java ecosystem. Uh, so a lot of times when people get started, uh, people do get hung up on the fact that um, if they're not familiar with the Java ecosystem, uh, there is a learning curve there, uh, you know, from like, you know, I just want to play around, but then you have to know all this stuff before you can do that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's something that's definitely getting worked on, um, but, you know, it's going to take time yet. Okay. Are there any resources you can recommend for getting started with ClojureScript? Uh, I would say probably the website is probably a good place to start. Um, we have um, in a tutorial there. Another place is, you know, the Slack community is really friendly. It's really active. Um, Clojure, it's clojurians.net. Mm -hmm. um, I recommend going there. Um, there's a beginner channel. Um, but people ask questions, you know, people ask you know, advanced questions. They ask basic questions in the ClojureScript channel, and it's totally fine. Um, there are, there's also an IRC channel. There's a mailing list. I mean, if you're interested in learning, um, I would, you know, Go to the website and then check out one of these um, sort of community um, places to hang out. Uh, unfortunately, there's not really like a book 
Uh, there, are, there are actually, I take that back, there are books. There are online books. There's no printed book um, right now from a major publisher um, that sort of covers everything. And a lot of this is due to the fact that ClojureScript actually uh, is still evolving pretty quickly. Again, not from a language standpoint, but from a tooling and JS ecosystem integration standpoint. Um, so I, I, I definitely know and, and sympathize with book authors. You know, they're afraid that, you know, if they write about something, um, they're going to miss out on, you know, very impactful changes. Um, and uh, I would probably argue that it's probably going to be another year uh, before um, we're where we're at, we're at a point where I would say it's harder for me to see uh, bigger changes coming down um, the pipe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. Well, I thought it was very interesting. And for all our listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time. Great. Thank you.